This episode of AVXL was recorded on January 21st, 2021. We're going to talk about products from CES that weren't TVs and a big old pile of viewer questions. And don't forget, email ask at avxl.com if you got a question for us. And hey, thanks to every single one of our patrons who support the show at patreon.com slash avxl. Testing one, two, three. All right. I'm not blowing anything out. Ignorant weasels chewing on your soul. Ignorant weasels. Do you have speed? Yeah. Well, Navy Excel, your guide to the best in home video and audio gear, no matter what your budget is. I'm Patrick Dorton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. There are people who email us when you buy a product we recommend, and it turns out that you like it. And when you do that, that gives me an opportunity to tell people that, hey, look, here's a case where we talked about your product and somebody bought it. So keep telling us about your products uh, and giving us chances to review it and stuff. So I want to thank everybody who does that. I also want to thank everybody at patreon.com slash AVXL because by paying a little bit each month, you make it possible for us to keep doing the show. And we really appreciate that. It's nice to get paid. It is. Food is important in this day and age. (laughs) Funding the project. Episode 129, we talked about pretty much all the CES 2021 TVs and projectors. There's a few more that we're going to talk about. Right now, though, we have earbuds and headphones and AVRs from CES 2021. Although I think the thing we have to start with, you were obsessed with the Onion article on AMC. And uh, all I'm going to say is... I'll put a link to it in the uh, show notes. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not going to finish the sentence. I'm just going to say desperate AMC touts theaters as nice, dark places for teens. And, you know, you probably can figure out the rest of that if you're over the age of 18. Uh, I'm just going to leave that there. And if you're not, don't look that article up. I don't want you to get any ideas. <laughs> that gave me a good flashback to the Market Street Cinema, one of the finest establishments in San Francisco, uh, circa mid-90s, say, where it was, I think it was a part-time porno theater, but, but they had cheap uh, daily movies, and you could go in there for like a buck and get out of the get out of the weather, so that was Real estate <laughs> in Manhattan, in San Francisco, and LA used to be so cheap that you could spend three bucks and watch movies for hours they would just play movie after movie after movie that was all starting to disappear right about the time i got to manhattan it was a different time it we'll was leave it at that one of the follow-ups we wanted to bring uh from our conversation last week was talking about uh 2k versus 4k uh or should you know 1080p versus 4k versus uh 8k 55 inch screens at nine feet you pointed out most people can actually correctly identify the 4k tv at nine feet which is kind of impressive on a 55-inch screen, this was something that when we were talking about those charts you look at over resolution versus yeah. viewing distance and the uh, and screen size, this brought me back to something that our buddy Mr. Vincent Teo over at HGTV Test actually wrote an article quite a while ago, a number of years ago. They did a side-by-side comparison with a 55-inch screen. One was 2K or 1080p, and the other was a 4K screen, each showing content that was native, either 1080p, like a Blu-ray, and 4K, like a UHD Blu-ray. Most people who looked at this setup where the the branding and everything was masked, you could really just see the screens themselves. Most people correctly identified the 4K TV at a nine-foot distance. And that's just a reminder. People talk about how far away you need to be from a screen to see the actual detail in it. So let's be honest. When Rob says people talk, he's really talking about me. <laughs> There are so many factors in perceived resolution, and it can come down to something like, are you wearing your proper glasses to what is the vision of the person actually looking at it? But 
in general, for most people in a public setting where this was tested, it really did make a difference having that extra resolution. Even though if technically you look at a chart and it's like, well, I need to be sitting, you know, X number of inches in order to really perceive it. Right. Subjectively, even when I see these screens at 10 feet, it is very noticeable to see the difference between the content on a 1080p screen versus, say, a 4K screen. I'll never poo-poo having more pixels if I can get them, especially with larger and larger screen sizes. I bow to your expertise in that subject. It's funny that we're talking about this because I pulled out uh, the Criterion Collection edition of uh, His Girl Friday, which is this amazing movie with uh, Cary Grant and Rosalind Russell just crushing this high speed. It's it's all banter. It's very romantic. It's it's set in a newspaper and hilarity ensues. It was originally uh, presented in 133 to 1 and they scanned it and the Blu-ray presents the content in 133 to 1. But what's kind of trippy about that is we have this 100 inch screen and it's one of those films where the grain is so evident. I had just been watching a whole bunch of Ted Lasso episodes. It's kind of bizarre to go from a classic piece of black and white cinema in 133 to 1, where, you know, you're, I want to say the pixels, but I'm not. The grain is so there. And it takes a few minutes of watching the film for the grain to just be like, oh, yeah, this is a movie. This is perfectly normal. It's kind of funny what you do and do not notice as you switch between things. Like throwing up a DVD on your 4K projector for the first time in a while can be like, hey, whoa there. And then a couple minutes into it, you, you you get involved in the story and you don't really care as much but true so many variables and then there's audio which is a complete nightmare but we're not going to talk about that right now <laughs> one other thing i wanted to bring up from ces is that we talked about a couple of projectors i believe from samsung and hisense that are actually rgb laser where there is an actual red blue and green laser for the three primary colors One of the things I've been pressing the manufacturers to enable is a way to make these just easier to calibrate. And that, regardless of the price and regardless of, you know, having well in excess of 100% of BT2020 color for things like HDR content, if you can't calibrate that properly or make those colors accurate, it almost is like, great, I've got this hot rod display system yet here it is where I'm unable to really get a handle on what the color capability is of that. Here's to hoping that for 2021, I'll also see some good, solid ways of managing and setting up these projectors to get the absolute most out of them for the variety of formats they can support. Everything, of course, from HDR on down. Speaking of projectors, I was half delighted, half sad. Epson didn't have any updates to the 5050 UB. Sad uh, because we always love to see more high-end, affordable home theater projectors that do HDR well, uh, happy because I, you know, purchased a 5050 UB last year and I was going to be all banging my head against the floor, uh, if they upgraded it already. So mixed blessings there. They did release a series of business projectors, uh, that they announced, uh, at the tail end of CES, the EX 3280 Pro EX 9240, the Pro EX 10,000. The 3280 is a $500 XGA 3600 lumen projector. The Pro EX9240 is a 1080p 4000 lumen projector. And the Pro EX10000 is a 1080p 4500 lumen $1300 projector. Not generally stuff we're talking about uh, because we're so obsessed with 4K and UHD, but if you need a, a light cannon in an area, say, for kids or entertainment or sports ball where you're not as intrigued or uh, chasing after HDR, you just need a ton of light, these would be some options for you to check out. Very cool. 
not really anything from Denon and Morantz on the AVR side, but they did have an announcement from Denon, the Home Soundbar 550, which is a compact soundbar. It's going to sell for about $600 when it's available. They are doing uh, Dolby Atmos TTSX support for a, uh, a uh, surround sound, a full surround sound experience, and they're doing Heos uh, streaming to that, which is Denon's streaming technology, which I use a lot with the 3700H uh, AVR we have. So this thing's going to be about 26 inches wide, so it's going to blend into most people's decor. I'm real curious to see how it does in terms of creating that uh, Dolby Atmos or DTSX experience. Uh, Four like midwoofers, two passive radiators, and a pair of tweeters are what I see facing off the front of that. So... We will uh, keep you posted as that becomes available and we learn more about how it's working and how well it does. While we're talking about audio, let's talk about Kef's uh, Unicorn announcement, which took place at CES. And right after CES, they announced the KC62 subwoofer using the Unicorn technology, um, which I'm, I'm going to say Unicorn if I'm not really, really careful. <laughs> but who cares? Because everybody loves unicorns. And if you don't love unicorns, well, that's okay. You can email ask at avxl.com and tell us about your distaste for unicorns. Um, maximum basic minimum space. It's a new design for subwoofers. And it's actually not so much a new design for subwoofers, but a new architecture for the driver, subwoofer drivers themselves, right? It's a dual opposed box design. Um, and I actually owned a subwoofer like this. The idea is that having, you know, essentially one subwoofer speaker facing left, one subwoofer speaker facing right, and they cancel out vibrations, which is cool. Kef has taken the idea of dual opposed subwoofers to the next level by sharing their voice coils. Let me read this out. Unicor uses tool dual force canceling drivers with concentrically arranged overlapping voice coils that are driven by a single motor to provide stunning bass performance from a small enclosures. And the voice coils are actually different sizes. They sort of move back and forth in the same physical space in the Unicor driver assemblies. So what this does is makes it really small, the subwoofer they built with this. And it's 9.68 by 10.07 by 9.76 inches. Pretty small. They have two 500-watt Class D amplifiers stuffed inside of this. So they have 1,000 watts, 500 watts for each driver. This is the KC62. It's going to weigh about 31 pounds, and it's a really attractive design. I like the curvy edges. Yes. It doesn't just leap out as being, hey, I'm a subwoofer. Uh, try to hide me. This is something I wouldn't mind actually seeing in the room day in and day out. Yeah. These are 6.5-inch drivers or a pair of 6.5-inch drivers or, you know, it, it, trying to describe this is, is a little peculiar, but it's very, very small. I'm really, 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 really curious to see what the CEA 2010 numbers look like for this. Cool. They've got a lot of smarts going into this. They did some interesting stuff with the driver surround. I think they're going to have a pretty serious Z or in and out distance for these drivers Smart distortion control technology built into it and a uh, DSP running their intelligent base extension and smart limiter algorithms. I'm really curious to see what the performance is like. It's attractive. It's small. It's not inexpensive. It's $1,500. And $1,500 can buy you two pretty serious subwoofers. They will also be vastly bigger than this. So when we hear CEA 2010 numbers on this, we'll talk about it some more if we can get one in for testing. There's a lot of speculation about how Unicor could end big box subwoofers, but that only happens if they perform like big box subwoofers. Just a thought there. 
looks like they have it in black or white, depending on your color preference. <laughs> <laughs> For a thousand watts in that kind of a compact design, I can't yeah. wait to see the numbers and actually get some ears on it. Yeah, we're both curious about that. We wait with bated breath. Technically, I think they came out last year, but uh, Sure was talking about their Aonic 50 wireless uh, active noise canceling headphones. Um, 20 hours of battery life. They're, they're over ear wireless uh, headphones with 20 hours of battery life. The active noise cancellation is adjustable, which I'm a fan of. Uh, they have an environment mode, which uh, essentially turns off their or feeds, bleeds uh, exterior noise into your skull so you can not be run over in traffic or hear people in the office. They come in white and tan or black or brown. They look a lot like Shure's lineup they've had over the years. And I did not see the announcement for this last spring, so which is maybe why they're talking about them again. They consider this part of their professional headphone lineup, or it's influenced by the professional headphone lineup. Uh, they certainly take a lot of their design cues from, from Shure's existing headphone lineup. Uh, $350. Uh, we'll uh, see whether or not I can, the nice folks up near Chicago can get us a pair in for testing. Another one that came out was Sennheiser's HD25 Club Sound for Everyday Life uh, is the tagline for this one. It's Essentially, it looks a lot like it's a descendant of the DJ favorite from yesteryear, the HMD25, which was a sort of a super popular headphone for people who ran around recording audio uh, for news stations. Uh, I actually literally am using a headset with HDMD25 drivers on them or on-ear drivers or on-ear uh, uh, headphones. The HC25 Club uh, has a lot of bass, Bluetooth connectivity, and uh, a plasticky, but uh, you know, should be a fairly bomb-proof design. They're talking about 25 hours of battery life, uh, Bluetooth 5, AAC, Aptex, low latency, and a quote intuitive equalizer that's built into the app. These have been out in India for a while, uh, in terms of I think literally thousands of reviews on Amazon India, but uh, this is their initial debut into the u.s they're going to be selling for about 70 dollars later this month so that's uh i'm very curious to hear how those sound they also announced an audiophile in-ear headphone the sennheiser ie 300 not a whole lot of information on this other than they're going for a high fidelity listening experience it's got seven millimeter extra wide band transducers inside of them and they have a pro audio monitor style over ear loop design i like that yeah yeah, we'll see how that goes. And an Aramid cable, or they have Aramid in the cable, so you can, you know, use it to save yourself if you fall off a bridge or something. Those are going to actually should have started shipping this week at about $300. Jabra has added new colors to the 85T, and the 75T in-ears get uh, active noise cancellation via an update from the app. So uh, the 85T gets noise cancellation from a dedicated chip. Uh, the 75T is uh, getting noise cancellation off the processor that does everything else inside of the the uh, that particular uh, earbud. Uh, Vmoda announced the M200 AMC, and I thought it was kind of fascinating. Vmoda is kind of a, a super popular. They're very mechanical. There's a very tactile experience when you're touching any of Vmoda's headphones, and they do uh, customizable. Uh, exterior skins, metal skins that go on the left and right side of the ear cups. 
This is their first wireless noise-canceling headphones. Uh, again, Bluetooth 5.0, Aptex HD, and AAC, which I think probably means in most of these cases, when you see Bluetooth 5.0 and Aptek, you can assume it has a Qualcomm wireless chipset inside of it. The app that's tied into the M200 ANC does uh, EQ and 10 levels of noise cancellation. If you cover the left ear cup, that activates the voice-in mode uh, to lower the volume of whatever you're listening to and pause the ANC, which is something we've seen Sony do in the past. Nice. Those are $500 a pair, so that's spending. That's right up there in uh, in Apple level for over-ear headphones. I do like the way they look, but yeah, that's at the top tier for yeah. for price versus quality. <laughs> Hopefully we'll get a chance to hear those. Eventually, Can Jam events will come back and I'll get to hear a bunch more headphones uh, this year. Helm Audio, who's done some interesting stuff over the last couple of years, announced the Census HD. They're calling it Smart Enhanced Hearing True Wireless headphones. And they're kind of stepping on the idea that these are kind of hearing aid-ish, but they're not hearing aid-ish because they're not hearing aids. They're not medical devices. They're, they're earbuds. But essentially, they have something really interesting, which is they've integrated Sonarworks sound idea, or the idea that, that Sonarworks came up with some interesting tools for equalizing and making headphones more neutral or more useful in a studio environment. And then they pivoted and they started doing uh, customizable audio profiling. Essentially, they tunes the audio for you via, in this case, not the Sonarworks app, but the Census HD app. You do a series of A-B tests for your hearing. Decide what your preferences are. Do you like this one or this one? This one or this one? Does this one sound tinny or does that one sound tinny? Does this one sound, is there more bass in this or less bass in this? I love that concept. I have done that with previous Samsung phones, actually. In their audio playback, they have a function that does a quick audio test. And then it creates yeah. that custom EQ setting for you specifically. When I'm doing listening of critical listening, I generally turn everything off. Mm-hmm. But for day-to-day listening, I think for a lot of people, it would be really nice. Maybe you do need a little more treble to make it sound right to you, or you need a little boost in certain frequencies just to have an experience that's complete. And it's nice to actually have something that can do an A-B test real quick and figure out where where perhaps your, your hearing weaknesses are and compensate for that in some way that's effective. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I'll be curious to hear what these sound like. They have uh, noise canceling and beam forming bikes, they call it, and, and sort of their sort of smart talk system that are built into these. Native voice integration basically means they support Alexa, Series, uh, Hey Spotify, and Uber. Quote, while not for use as a medical device, the Senses HD bridges a gap between affordable audiophile quality headphones and expensive and aesthetically awkward hearing aids. So again, they're trying to help uh, patch up or patch over or smooth over deficiencies in your hearing. Uh, there's a long conversation to be had around that. We're not going to have right now. 10 hours of battery life. They're going to sell for about $200 a pair. Very, very curious to hear those when they are available. One more came out with some very, 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 very affordable earbuds. And one more has come out with some earbud designs we've absolutely adored over the years. Um, the Comfo Buds, Bluetooth 5, AAC, four hours of playback, uh, 18 hours if you consider the time uh, that's added with the case. That super cool, speedy charging, where 15 minutes of charging will give you two hours of use. It is a big 13.4 millimeter driver, and four mics are built in for ENC, uh, their environmental noise canceling. They are really pitching these directly against Apple's $160 AirPods. These are $60. They're going to be $50 on sale at uh, USA.OneMore.com. I'm curious to hear them. Hopefully, they're going to send me a pair of those to listen to. Uh, They also did a pro version of that that we'll talk about more in the future. 
Comfobud. <laughs> I like that Comfobud. <laughs> uh, you know, it's... it's uh, the price is right. Somebody asked me why I was naming something something uh, a few weeks ago, and I said, you know, we're getting to the point where finding URLs or non-trademark names is just getting more and more complicated. <laughs> so Comfobuds is probably pretty reasonable, all things considered. That's the bulk of uh, the audio announcements from CES, and uh, a few more might trickle in, but cool. I think that pretty much wraps up the bulk of it. I did have one follow-up. We were talking to Luke from Wisconsin a couple weeks ago about potential stutter you can see in OLED panels when displaying 24p content, particularly in panning shots. And there were a couple of things that I didn't get around to talking about, and one was specifically the content frame rate. And that is what is the actual frame rate of the content you're actually putting to a screen, regardless of that screen's refresh rate. 120 Hertz display systems, be it a projector, or in most cases, it's gonna be an LCD TV or all late model OLEDs, every one I've looked at, they're all rolling at 120 Hertz as the display's native refresh rate. That 120 hertz is a super interesting and convenient number in the sense that content that was originally recorded at, say, 24 frames per second or 30 or 60 can each have a frame multiple that perfectly fits within that 120 hertz display. In the case of 24p content, you can actually flash that image five times or 30 frames per second, four times, or at 60 frames per second, you simply show each frame twice. And that provides an accurate display in terms of maintaining, be it a filmic look or a video look, but the display isn't having to do anything weird in that scenario. And the TVs can be adjusted to either fully compensate for those refresh rates to make them look as smooth as possible, or you can simply do those frame multiples to make it look as intended, regardless if you're dealing with 24, 30, 60 or faster content nowadays out of game consoles up to 120 hertz and beyond to actually see these differences when you're actually playing around with these settings it's really good to have some sort of test material to look at and i'll just bring up again the latest spears and munsell 4k test disc is a nice mm. tool that includes a variety of scrolling patterns to make it easy to visualize what changes the system might be doing to a particular piece of content, be it through your adjustments or just how it will play natively when you're rolling it right into the display. So many settings. Yeah. <laughs> but there is that war between like, oh man, the, the frame rate can be anything in terms of the content. Right. And then the display itself runs at a frame rate in terms of its refresh rate. When you start dealing with things like 60 hertz displays, which are oh so common, probably the most popular refresh rate of all TVs out there in terms of the uh, the number of them. 60 hertz right. displays, when you start trying to, you know, divide a 24p video into a 60 hertz display, it, it doesn't fit perfectly. You have to do either some video processing to make that work right or look okay, or you're simply going to end up with artifacts, be it judder or stutter, depending on what it is you're looking at. I like the... Uh the link to the blurbusters.com, which is uh, a website that says everything better than 60 hertz. So on my workstation, that is something I really am looking forward to in my next monitor mm. upgrade is having something that will go at <laughs> least 120 hertz or well beyond 60 for even things like moving windows around or the seamlessness of scrolling and the general usability, just having a display that can, you know, 
go well in excess of that old school, uh, old school 60 hertz and give us something approaching what we want. But if you are shopping out there for a new display, I would highly encourage you to find one that is a true 120 hertz display, especially if you're a bit of a video file and this is something you, yeah. you plan to do some careful and, uh, oh, what's the term? Or a gamer. Or a gamer. <laughs> careful and considered calibration. Yeah, or if you're just kind of a purist about it all and you want a display mm -hmm. that can perfectly match the most popular frames per second in terms of content creation that are out there today. And I think 120 hertz is a beautiful thing. Of course, a 240 hertz display would also have those same benefits in terms of being nice, even multiples for the, the most popular <laughs> frame rates of content we look at today. It's not just for Counter-Strike people. No. No, I was, I was laughing because uh, I was in Micro Center picking up some memory and I saw a monitor. So I, I have a Dell U3415. It's a widescreen monitor. It completely changed a, a lot of how I interface with the work I do on a daily basis. And I have started sniffing around uh, higher frequency weight on widescreen monitors. And uh, I saw one that was a huge improvement over the monitor I have. And it was also, uh, I literally, I've bought cars for less money than this monitor cost. And I was like, not yet. I'm feeling not it. Not yet. I was eyeballing an <laughs> MSI monitor today, a 27 inch with 1440p. Uh, I think it went up to 165 or beyond DCI P3 color, but it lacks the brightness I'm really looking for in a next-gen display for myself. I really hope that changes up, too, for this year, for 2021. We'll have a few a few premium options that aren't total bank breakers in terms of pricing. Because <laughs> it's suddenly, it's like, oh, we can give you everything except for that peak maybe HDR 600 performance you're looking for for about 500 bucks. But if you want that HDR 600 jump, suddenly it's double that price or more. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Pete, a.k.a. at Pigs Already Fly on Twitter, emailed Ask at AVXL. Also, I just need to stop and say I love at Pigs Already Fly as a name on Twitter. He writes, thanks so much for the recommendation on turntables. I ended up getting the Orbit Basic Plus with built-in preamp all in white so I can let the vinyl art shine. Not to mention look nice next to the PS5. Delivery is coming soon. Quick question. I have some Bose Companion 2s that have done really well for me over the years. I know they aren't exactly neutral, but they are small and simple, albeit they don't look super nice on the Entertainment Center. Do you think those will be okay for the Orbit Basic player? My problem is I have nowhere to put bookshelf speakers without getting a new TV stand and scooting everything over. It is a project for the future for sure. By the way, you asked what albums I have. Check out this list. Would love some recommendations. I pretty much enjoy all genres. And he talks about uh, that he couldn't pass up on the Mandalorian 10 vinyl box set from Mondo. The Cowboy Bebop special release from Mambo. Uh, Mondo, not Mambo. Patrick Bates' Salad Days. Jay Dilla's Dilatronic, which is, uh, he said, badass hip-hop beats. And Patrick Bates, he describes as a great rocker friend. The Knobs Bass Brand, A Decade of Noise. Uh, that's a bass brand from his hometown of Richmond, Virginia. And he says, Happy New Year. And uh, I, I think Robert and I are unified in that we want you to just, whatever you have, whatever you find at a garage sale, whatever you can afford, start listening now. So, yes, if you have some Bose Companion 2 speakers, absolutely get started listening with them. I will also say that those don't have enough bass uh, to make anyone happy. So, yes, 
use those for now, save up your money. And when it's time, get some powered speakers, uh, get some, you know, some monitors, get, you know, an amplifier and a pair of stereo speakers, but start listening. And then the more you listen to these albums, especially that Cowboy Bebop soundtrack or the Mandalorian stuff, which is some superb music. When you upgrade your speakers, you'll be like, oh, I hear all the glorious, you know, there's going to be a lot of stuff you're not going to hear off those little tiny computer speakers that you will when you upgrade to some bigger, more badass speakers. I love the Cowboy Bebop soundtrack. It's an anime series if it's a new name for you, and they they have some crazy high-speed jazz going on in that. Uh, The Mandalorian soundtrack we've talked about uh, last year about how amazing it is. I am fascinated that there are vinyl releases for those though they are all sold out. Definitely thanks for sharing and thanks for uh, letting us know that you're enjoying the turntable or anticipating enjoying the turntable. Mondo, uh, if you've never heard of that label, is mondoshop.com. That was totally new to me. It is a, quote, one-stop destination for film and video game music. There is serious nerdery going on here, including something I have to point out for Mr. Heron, who is clicking on this in the script as I speak. Yes. The Big Lebowski motion picture soundtrack LP. Uh, which may be worth owning just for the album art and the fact that the album itself is a glorious purple or some sort of crazy ice creamy kind of look or just basic black. But the album cover itself is magnificent. 180 gram black vinyl. If you White Russian vinyl. It's a thing. <laughs> I, I would love this as just an art piece hanging on the wall. I am the yeah. worst with physical albums, uh, LPs. I, I will scratch them at some point. I need digital. <laughs> Yeah. No. Yeah. I think we're both kind of sticking to CDs and lossless black. I own a turntable specifically, almost entirely to convert vinyl albums from my youth into digital files I can access. Uh, You know, that's the conversation for another day. But Mondo is really cool. Mondoshop.com, some serious nerdery, uh, along with that Big Lebowski album, uh, puzzles, posters, collectibles, a lot of stuff going on there. And uh, I am delighted that you have picked up those albums and are looking forward to enjoying them. Actually, we do have a turntable in the house and I may just pick up the big Lebowski as a gift to the owner of the turntable in the house. That way they can be responsible for the dam- potential damage. They'll probably take really good care of it. I am just like, I think Ikea I'm a scratch has magnet. those square frames for storing, <laughs> uh, for using your albums, as, your album covers as art. Just a thought, man. Just a thought. Just don't hang it in the sun in a really bright spot where oh. the sun can do yeah. terrible things to the vinyl. Thomas posted on patreon.com slash AVXL. Patrick, how good is the DAC in my FIO M6 audio player versus my Emotiva little Ego? The battery in the M6 drains really quickly when using the Ego as well. Do I really need to be using the Ego with my M6? One, I love this question. Two, um, I am of the opinion that, yes, some DACs are better than others, but most DACs, if they're doing their job correctly, should sound the same. And I want to say there's an ESS in one of those and a Burr Brown DAC in the other. And if they are properly properly implemented, i.e. the engineers did their work, which they I think they did at FIO and at Emotiva, they should sound, they should both sound excellent. Run your headphones directly off your FIO M6, especially if you're you're traveling a lot. I think it'll be a great experience. And, uh, uh, you know, FIO's, I've owned at least three of their digital audio players, and they are, they are fantastic performers for their money as far as I'm concerned. So I think you are good to go with running the headphone jack off that FIO M6. Here's a question that a lot of people are probably thinking about because... 
HDMI 2.1 is a big part of 2021 TVs, but not so much 2020 TVs at Joel Duggan tweets. Fan of the knowledge bombs you drop on AVXL and DTNS. Thank you. Picking up a 55-inch 4K TCL 6 series. That's a 2020 TV, mostly for Xbox Series X, but films and TV too. Wondering if I'll be regretting it later this year. I don't need 8K, but HDMI 2.1 is not on the 2020 model. What do you think, Mr. Heron? Don't worry about it. Uh, especially for the value you picked up on that TV. That's a 120 hertz native display that features 4K input up to 60 hertz as far as I know. I don't believe it has a native 4K 120 input for your game console, but it's going to give you everything else, including HDR, a decent full array local dimming system, superb brightness, a, a native contrast level as well that is superb compared to any other premium brand of LCD television. You don't have to worry about things like burn-in with that type of display technology. And it also features variable refresh rate. So you'll be able to minimize things like screen tearing with your nice. game console. As far as G-Sync and FreeSync support go, I, I don't believe either are technically listed as being part of the 6 series, but folks are reporting that when connected to a PC with a Radeon graphics card, FreeSync seems to enable and they may be hiding that in there. I, I just can't guarantee that straight up. However, it does have the VRR, and I am loving that native 120 hertz refresh rate for the reasons we mentioned earlier related to content recorded at different frame rates and things like that in addition to gaming. Unless you are a competitive console gamer, I don't think there's really anything to poo-poo that particular TV about. And when I say competitive, I'm thinking specifically for things like the latency involved in terms of how good that TV is. There are better TVs in terms of input lag and latency, but this is still really, really good and perfect for most people. <laughs> perfect. I would also perfect. suggest, though, if you can swing it, calibrate that sucker. If there's one thing I would say the out-of-the-box accuracy is, it's okay. It's not terrible, but it can really benefit from improvements just through calibration and making a picture that's more accurate and punchy. But, you know, that's something we can say about just about every TV manufactured. Well, certainly every projector, most TVs, darn near all of them, could use a little bit of calibration-y love once they're in their final location. Hmm. Calibration. I think about that a lot as I stare at my projector. Hmm. Um, <laughs> someday I'll be able to fly you out here, Robert. Oh my goodness. Uh, my random thoughts about calibration aside, I think this is a good place to end this episode of AVXL because I will start meandering that Robert will start talking calibration and then it's going to be a three hour conversation and that's just too much to edit. But if you have questions about calibration. I think we might be able to get your projector uh, calibrated remotely. I have some spare equipment, and I forget where well, it is. Wild. But, uh, let me think about it. <laughs> it's in your storage unit. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that mess. <laughs> let me get back into that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure your storage unit isn't nearly as bad as my garage, but let's not talk about that because I'll burst into tears, and nobody wants to have tears on AVXL. I understand. <laughs> His Dark Materials, HBO Max, uh, HBO, fascinating series. I, I, My boys were kind of fascinated by it, so we watched the series, and it's beautiful. But I feel like it's very beautiful cliff notes for the novels, and I've just pounded through two of the novels. Um, I'm just going to leave that there. If you're a science fiction fantasy enthusiast, uh, I highly recommend the books. Series isn't bad either, but the series is just such a pale echo of the books themselves just going to leave that out there nice 
Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I like reading. I like movies. I really like listening to music. And with that, remember, folks, we're here to try to make you have the best experience you can with the gear you've got. We want to help you get better gear to have the experience you want. And we know everybody's looking to do it for the least amount of money. So we're going to help you with that. Whether you're looking for headphones for music or headphones for home theater or a better home theater projector or television or something just to make the whole experience of watching the morning news that much more fantastic in your kitchen. We're there for you. We are uh, Robert Heron and Patrick Norton. This is AVXL. You can find all the information about AVXL and all of our episodes at AVXL.com or just search for AVXL on your favorite podcatcher. If you enjoy the show and you want to help uh, pay us for the time it takes us to put together this, uh, please go to patreon.com slash AVXL. We would appreciate your contribution. And uh, with that, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. We'll catch you next week on AVXL.